Well, good morning, church family, and those of you that are joining us on this live stream. It's Palm Sunday. It's a significant day in the family of faith. It's the day when Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem, but in a matter of days, things would change. We will talk about that in a Good Friday broadcast and in Easter Sunday about what is going to happen in this week, 2,000 years ago. But it's Palm Sunday, it's a day to celebrate. We can celebrate because we know who holds our future. We can celebrate because we have a savior. And so I wanna speak to you this morning for a few moments on the Son of Man and the Son of God. We're gonna be in Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11, a very familiar passage of scripture Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. As we talk about the Son of Man and the Son of God, Jesus coming to earth to die for our sins. I love this quote from John Stott, who wrote a book called The Cross of Christ. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood and tears and death, and he suffered for us. Paul in these verses is going to give us the attitude of Christ and the actions of Christ on our behalf, how he modeled for us how we are to behave, he humbled himself, how he acted and interceded on our behalf, and how one day we will all kneel before him. Man has always wanted a God that he could see, he could feel, or he could build. That's why idolatry was such a problem in the Old Testament. Man was always making a God in his own image or in the image of an animal, of a bull, of a tree, some kind of stone. But here, we see God's Son giving us the true image of who our Father is. This passage gives us the ultimate reality. John MacArthur said, Paul's inspired description is the supreme portrait of self-sacrifice, self-denial, self-giving, and boundless love for God on the part of Christ. So let's read these great words, which was really a hymn of the church, of the early church. Let's read these great words that Paul puts into the book of Philippians, verse 5, chapter 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. So he's emptied himself and he's humbled himself by becoming obedient unto the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him. Now notice, he emptied himself, he humbled himself, and because he did, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every, not some, every, knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, here's why that's important. Everyone will one day confess Jesus 
but that does not mean that everyone will be saved. What it means is there's coming a day when those who have rejected Christ, who have despised Christ, who have ignored the claims of Christ, who has rejected your call on them to give their hearts to Jesus, they will have to acknowledge that Jesus was who he said he was, he did what he came to do, and he was ascended to the Father, and by their own admission, they were wrong, God was right. That's what Paul's telling us here. So let's dig into it. First of all, he is unquestionably God. He existed, he says, in the form of God. That, that's a reference to his incarnation on earth. He existed, that expresses a person's nature. When Paul says that Jesus existed in the form of God, he was in a continuous state of existing. He came as a man, but he was continually God. The word form means the outward expression of an inward nature. He took the form, the outward expression of the inward nature, but in eternity past, he was. In that moment, he was. He still is. He is the great I am revealed in the flesh. This means to fully express the being in a way we can see and understand. So what Jesus did is he came and revealed the Father to us. He revealed God to us. He showed us what God is like. And God took on the form of man. And by using this particular word, morphe, Paul is saying that Jesus possessed an unchanging nature, an unchanging nature, an essential, eternal nature, he did not become God, quit becoming God, and become God again. He was always God, even in the 33 years that he walked here on earth. Look at, look at what the New Testament says. He did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. When God designed the plan of salvation before man ever sinned in the garden, Jesus agreed to lay aside not his deity, but his glory, to come and give himself. God said to himself, I will give myself for these people that they might have salvation. He was willing to pay the price of sin. So he laid aside his deity. The only time we see any manifestation of that on earth is on the Mount of Transfiguration. But he laid aside his glory, but he did not lay aside his deity. The fact that Jesus is God is at the core of the gospel. If he's not God, we don't have any hope. If he didn't come to save to the uttermost, we don't have any hope. Notice the word equality. It, that describes something that is equal in size, in quantity, in character, or in number. Jesus was not less than God. Jesus was God Manifest, manifested to us as a man, all God, all man. Now, if you go to the Gospel of John, and if you want to, you can turn to John chapter 1. Jesus said in John 5, he called God his own father, which meant he was making himself equal to God, and that's what ticked off the Pharisees, that he was claiming to be the same as God the Father, as Jehovah, as Elohim. He was claiming equality with the Father. And it drove them crazy that he did that. That's one of the reasons they wanted to kill him. The Gospel of John picks up in this. 
in John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In other words, Jesus is the source of everything. Now, I want you to stay with me in this message because we're going to look at Philippians 2, at John chapter 1, and at Genesis chapter 1 and see from Genesis to the ascension, God has tied all of this together in a manifestation of himself through his Son. What, what amazes me about the Gospel of John, and this is one of the reasons you, you say to people, if they don't believe in Jesus, just take the next 30 days to read through the Gospel of John. If somebody is a new Christian, take the next 30 days to read through the Gospel of John. Why? Because John uses the most elementary Greek words to explain who Jesus is. He, he wasn't trying to feed giraffes. He was feeding sheep. He was getting the food on the table where they could understand it. He uses these elementary Greek words that children can understand. You can read the Gospel of John to children, and they go, oh, okay, I, I understand that, I see that. And you can show it to a theologian, and he's still trying to figure it all out. That's what's amazing about the Gospel of John. I, I love what Martin Luther said. He said, I have never read a book written in simpler words than this one, and yet the words are inexpressible. John is showing us that he is the one. He's the I am. That's the book with the I am sayings. That's the book with all the signs and the miracles that point to the fulfillment of prophecies and of Scripture. But the key word in the Gospel of John is believe. We are here on Palm Sunday, and we want people to believe the good news of Jesus Christ. The key word is believe. It's found 98 times in the Gospel of John. One meaning of the word is to acknowledge the truth as truth. To acknowledge the truth as truth. Another way you can use the word believe is to trust, to rely or to cling to. It means that I am throwing my trust on Christ that he is who he said he is. Listen, I've staked my eternal destiny on who Christ said he is and on what he came to do. So look at it this way. The goal of the gospel is faith. The goal of the gospel is faith, that you may believe. The focus of faith is Christ who came to dwell among us. And the result of faith is life. We have life in his name. So here we've got this trust that we need to have that Paul is talking about, Peter talks about, James talks about, the gospel writers talk about. The goal of the gospel is faith. The focus of faith is life. And the result of faith is life, is Christ and then life. I'll get this in a minute. So now... Hold your place in John chapter 1 or in Philippians 2. Go all the way to the front to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. In the Hebrew, the phrase, in the beginning, God, is just two words. It's just two words. In the beginning, God, is just two words. What was in the beginning? Well, here's the alternative. As you talk to your lost friends about a relationship with Christ, what was in the beginning? Either God or nothing. 
what was in the beginning was either God, and if God wasn't in the beginning, pre-existent before creation, then there was nothing. Now, this is important because it means we're down to one choice. Since nothing is nothing, we are left with, in the beginning, God. Now, let me tell you why that's important. You, if you get a chance, you ought to write this in the margin of your Bible or write it in your notes somewhere. Why is this important? Why does Genesis 1 have anything to do with Philippians chapter 2? Here's why. If you can't believe that God created something out of nothing, how can you ever believe that God came to live inside a man and remained fully God? So I'm going to say it again. If you can't believe that God created something out of nothing, how could you ever believe that God came to live inside a man and remain fully God? Genesis 1-1, create in the Hebrew, is used of God alone. That word is used of God alone. He's bringing something out of nothing. When the Bible speaks of God making something out of existing materials, this is important for those people that say whatever they want to say about creation and deny the first chapters of Genesis. When the Bible refers to God making something out of existing materials, it uses a different Hebrew word. The word create in Genesis always refers to something from nothing. It's the wrong word if creation was nothing more than God pulling a bunch of things that already existed in pre-existent matter and throwing it together and creating the universe. There was nothing, but there was God. There was nothing. There was no universe. There was God before all that we see, before all that we know, before what we can see and touch and smell. God existed. He is the eternal God. No beginning, no end. Everything that you see has a beginning and an end. So stay with me. Why, how do you connect Genesis 1, John 1, and Philippians 2? There are two really good reasons why you need to know this. Well, I'm not just trying to fill your notes with material that doesn't matter. Number one, they are a denial of atheism. They are denial of atheism. Somebody says, well, I'm an atheist. Well, if God was in the beginning, and if Jesus was in the beginning with God, then there was and there is a God. So atheists are denying that there is a God. Genesis 1, John 1, Philippians 2, and other passages tell us there is a God. Secondly, it's a denial of pantheism. It's a denial of pantheism in the and the pantheists believe that God may be in matter or is matter, substance, but it's the basis of paganism because what they do is they worship created things. And so you've got all these religions that have all these idols and all these images. They worship images, idols. They have many gods. All roads lead to heaven. That's not true. Pantheists believe that, but that is not true. So, follow with me. If in the beginning God, it means God is self-existent. He's self-existent. Nobody came along and created him or the idea of him. We would not know anything had he not revealed himself. 
So God is self-existent. So if in the beginning God, Genesis chapter 1, God is self-existent, John 1, in the beginning the Word, which means Jesus, is eternal, present, identified the same as God. If Jesus, who also, although existed in the form of God, that's Philippians 2, then all of these tied together, all of them tie together, all three of those in the beginning phrases tie together, which means God revealed in creation and in his son because his son was there at creation. His son was the creator. He didn't fall short. Jesus didn't almost get us saved. Jesus didn't get us a hope-so salvation. He did everything required to give us a no-so salvation. He was obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Paul says he emptied himself. That's a theological term, kenosis. It's the kenosis passage dealing with all the doctrines of Christ emptying himself of his privileges. So he emptied himself of his privileges, but not his deity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Three and one. Jesus said in John's gospel, glorify me together with yourself, Father, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, I love this statement by Warren Wiersbe. Paul traces the steps in the humiliation of Christ. And, and, and look, he gives us four. Number one, he emptied himself, laying aside the independent use of of his own attributes as God. Secondly, he permanently became a human in a sinless physical body. Remember, he's in heaven. There are scars in his hands and in his feet. He is seated at the right hand of Father. They saw a resurrected Christ after the resurrection. The disciples saw him. Hundreds of people saw him. Number three, he used that body to be a servant. He did not come making demands to be king and lord in that moment. That day comes later. But he used that body to be a servant, and he took, fourthly, he took that body to the cross and willingly died. So let's look at the third thing. He died for sinners. Palm Sunday is getting him down that road. He's going into Jerusalem, and the same people that, yelled, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. In a few days, many of them will say, crucify him. He died for sinners. He died for the people that hated him. He died for all of us, for each of us, for anyone who would call upon his name. He was made in the likeness of man. So he identified with us and died for us. He was fully God. He was fully man. In Luke's gospel, his favorite term for himself is the son of man. You see that in the book of Daniel as well. But he was a son of man, but he's also the son of God. So who, who are we talking to? If he died for us and we're trying to figure out life right now, what do we do? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence 
to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Who are we drawing near to? The one who was made in the likeness of man. Who are we drawing near to? The one that was being found in the appearance as a man. He looked like a man. He acted like a man. He got tired. He wept. He slept. He walked. He was all man and all God. How did he respond in this world that had treated God so terribly? He humbled himself. He didn't show up fully grown and say, I'm here to take over and you people better get in line or I'm wiping you out. He showed up as a helpless baby, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, ministered on this planet for a little over three years, was put on a cross for our sins, no sin of his own. Even those who tried him said, I find no fault in him. That's never been said of any other religious leader. Never been said of any prophet, I find no fault in him. We can have integrity, but there's still fault in us. And here he came and laid down his life for us, even death on a cross. It was predicted, predicted hundreds of years before the cross was ever invented as the most cruel form of punishment and death that the Messiah would die on a cross, and he did. Benjamin Warfield, who was a preacher of another century, said, we see him among the thousands of Galilee, anointed of God, going about doing good, with no pride of birth, though he was a king, with no pride of intellect, though omniscience dwelt within him, with no pride of power, though all power in heaven and earth was in his hands. We see him everywhere offering to men his life for the salvation of their souls. Now, you want to know what the great exchange is? The great exchange is that God came in the form of a man. He died on a cross as a sinless Savior. And the exchange is we get his life for our wretched life. We get his forgiveness for our sins that cannot be forgiven any other way. Now, right now, in the, in the middle of this pandemic, there are all kind of people trying to offer hopes and cures and vaccines and medicines, and there's all kind of fake news out, and, and there are preachers out there that shamefully, shamefully are declaring that they have delivered our nation from this pandemic. Well, if they have, then our hospitals should be not overcrowded right now. You see, the sign of a prophet is if his prophecies come true. And when a man says he's praying the devil and this pandemic out of the U.S., and I noticed on his broadcast, he didn't pray it out of any other country, just us. But when he does that, and it does not stop, when Jesus declared somebody healed, they were healed in that moment. When it doesn't stop, he's a false teacher. And so I don't know what gospel he thinks he's preaching and some of these others think they're preaching, but I want to tell you, Jesus is the only one that can deliver us from sin and hell and death and the grave. All of us are going to die of something. Every one of us is going to stand before God, either to him to declare, depart from me, I never knew you, or welcome into my family and welcome into my kingdom. Now, you got all kind of views out there. you got 
Buddhists and pantheists and deists and, and Mormons and Muslims and cult groups and crazies and everything else. I, I found some great truth in Ravi Zacharias, who's one of the leading apologists of our time. He says that most people think all religions are essentially the same. Listen to what he's saying. That most people consider all religions essentially the same and only superficially different. In other words, there's not much difference between those of us that believe that Christ is the only way, that those of us that believe that you cannot be saved except by faith alone and grace alone, that works don't save us, that good deeds don't save us, that these other gods can't save us, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody can come to the Father but by him. Zacharias says most people believe, well, that you know, what they believe and all their stuff is not much different than what we believe. I mean, some of them believe that Jesus was a good teacher and a good prophet. They, they just added some stuff. This is what Ravi says. The opposite is true. The religions of the world are essentially different and only superficially the same. The religions of this world are essentially different and only superficially the same. They're just on the edges they might, we might can agree with them. But when you get down to the essential message of the Word of God and of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's only one God and there's only one way to heaven. One God and one way to heaven. There aren't many gods, there's one God. And in the study of history and nations and cults and idolatry, all those gods always fail, and none of them offer hope. And if they do offer hope, it's always selfish hope. It's not God-glorifying hope. But just like Paul says in this passage, he's been highly exalted and given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you've been watching this streaming today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, at the bottom of the screen you'll see how you can reach out to us and contact us and we will respond to you. We will pray with you. If you have a prayer request, we will pray with you and for you. We can take you to the next step in how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The website is sherwoodbaptist.net slash next step. We want you to know Jesus. This world's not offering a lot of hope. We're living in fear. Jesus is the one that can meet you at the crossroads of your life. Jesus is the one that can save you completely today. I encourage you, give your heart to Jesus and let him change your life so that one day you willfully, joyfully, worshipfully, bow before him and proclaim, yes, you are my king and you are my God and you are my Lord. Hallelujah for the day when we get to do that.